home alone or alone without a home? How many of us are arriving this morning in this space or in this season with that experience, that feeling? Desire for home. Knowing that home is more than the, qu- the quantity of people around us Right? You can be in a crowded room like this and still feel alone. You can watch the documentaries of your favorite pop stars or athletes who have tens of thousands of fans, but feel totally And so for us, the story of home, as followers of Jesus, starts in the book of Genesis in a garden, and it's there in the story of creation and in the story of the garden where all things are as they're intended to be, whole, beautiful, shalom, that we see God walking with humanity. And what the poem would want us to apprehend Space is home, that, uh, that a space is home, but that walking with God is home. And so humanity in the garden walking with God, humanity at home with God. And God's walking in the garden. God at home with humanity. And it's here that we... longing and desire of the human heart, the ache beneath all the other aches, the desire beneath every other desire is to be at home in God and for God to be at home in us and for us to live in and from that place. And Isn't it so interesting for those of you who know where this is going is by the time we get to the second chapter. That it's not good for humanity to be alone. That although being at home with God is the deepest and most fundamental and essential longing of the human heart, that there is another ache and desire and longing within us, and it's to be at home with and among each other. That we desire not just quality, long for quality relationship with each other. That we desire the exchange of life and energy that comes when I'm seen by another, when I feel safe with another, when I feel secure in the presence of another, and even when that relationship is nurturing, love. 
and I see them. And I create safety for them. And I become a secure relationship for them. And I offer a nurturing exchange of life and energy for them. I, too, am patient and kind and long-suffering and keep short records of wrongs and live with forgiveness and in love. is a fundamental longing of the human heart. And isn't it like God to say, if you're going to be at home with me, then you're going to have to be at home with all the folks I'm at home with. And God's got a big family, a global family. And God is going to be at home with me is to be at home in my home, which is to be at home with and among all those who find isn't it? And as we read on in this story of the garden, we know that there's a fall, that humanity falls. Sin and death enter the world, and part of the consequence of sin and death is that relationship between God and each other and within ourselves is wounded, it's fractured, it's divided. And so now we, in relationship to one another, we live often divided. We live so often isolated and shut off from one another. We cover our vulnerability with the leaves or whatever it is that we can cover ourselves with so as to not be seen and exposed because we have experienced the unsafety of the fractured and divided world that we find ourselves. And so all through the scripture, unfold between individuals between tribes, between nations, between kingdoms, between groups of people, we see the stories of how what was meant to be home with and among one another is marred and disfigured, not shalom, not wholeness, not beauty, but division to our own lives, right? I mean, so many of us are coming in here feeling the real impact of loneliness and isolation. Earlier this year, the Surgeon General released an advisory, a report on loneliness and isolation. They called it the epidemic of loneliness and isolation here in the United States. Right, the Surgeon General are the folks that put all the warnings on the food. And so the Surgeon General released this advisory around this very real experience of loneliness and isolation. They're calling it an epidemic. Part of the numbers that they're putting to this is that 50% of adults now report measurable levels of loneliness and isolation. So half of us in this room, this 
levels of loneliness and isolation. In other words, we feel it in our bones. And it's not fleeting. It's something we experience sort of in a day-in and day-out kind of way. Within this study, they said 15-year-olds to 24-year-olds compared actions are down 70% from what folks 20 years ago were experiencing as a cause of a sense of measurable loneliness and isolation. And what is the impact of this? It's not just our mental and emotional health, and for sure it has an impact on our mental and emotional health. Health. They're, they're suggesting that to feel these measurable levels of loneliness and isolation, to have our in-person interactions down 70% if you're in that age range as compared to 20 years ago, is equivalent to someone who smokes 15 cigarettes a day. That's the impact of that on your health. And so it impacts our bodies. They go on in the report and isolation are related to. It's an epidemic. It's real. And we know it's real because so many of us are experiencing it. I know as a pastoral care pastor, it's real because I've sat through coffees with so many of us as we've expressed that experience. I know it's real because I've had my own wrestle And so the question for us is, what does the gospel have to say? Does the gospel have good news for us? Could home for Christmas mean something different for us by the time we leave than when we came in? Well, let's look at our text for the day. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 8. for some reflections on these verses and Rob will kick me off stage when my time is up. So Luke chapter two, verse eight. Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for see, in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem.
So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. Amen? So we find ourselves in this loneliness epidemic. And what I love about what's happening in this gospel announcement is, remember we kind of alluded to this this reality of the fall in the garden, the world as it should be, as it ought to be, and relationships as they ought to be fractured and wounded. And so now we get to the gospel of Luke and the, the arrival of Jesus, the one who is coming. to its oughtness, the way the world ought to be, the way the creator intended the world to be. It's a restoration project, right? And Jesus is coming to do that. And one of the very first things that's happening in Jesus coming to to set the world right, for God to restore the oughtness of the world, is that angels go to people who are on the outside, because in the gospel, to come back into relationship, that Jesus, from the start, even as a little baby, what the gospel writer of Luke would want us to see is that God, through Jesus, is setting the world right. And what that includes is that those who are on the outside or be invited into the joy of integration back into community. For home. And this is where the great deep joy can be apprehended. By hearing the gospel to come home. Now I understand it's not that simple. Because we've been hurt in community, we've hurt, we've been hurt by community. been kicked out of community. They are on the outside, they're on the margins, they are on the lowest rung of the social ladder of their day. Right? These are the folks that you don't associate with, you don't talk to, you don't invite to a dinner party, you don't touch, you don't stop for, you don't wait for. You just move on by like they don't exist. You don't dignify their existence. The order of the day. But that's not the world as it ought to be. Amen? That is not God's intent for anyone or any group of people. And so Luke, man, he's, Luke's doing this all through his gospel. He is bringing, he is showing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is reordering the social 
And you know what's so cool about Luke is you're gonna, if you read on in Luke, there's a, there's a bunch of healings in Luke. Jesus heals people's bodies. Here's something that's real interesting about what Luke would want us to pick up on though. Jesus almost never asks any of those people that he heals to come and join him. And they're almost always sent back to their community. Because Jesus doesn't just sense of home. Because he understands that one of the fundamental longings of your heart isn't just to be healed in body, but to be whole in soul. And so this is what Luke is wanting us to apprehend even from the start of this text is that we can come home and back to community because Jesus wants to heal us all the way through. Some of us. Is that it's really terrifying for a whole lot of us to come back to community. For, for valid reasons. Not, not just because we're shy or introverted or, or don't like big groups of people, but because we've been really wounded by community and we've been really hurt. And there's been real time. And that stuff really happens. And that stuff's happened for real to many of us. And so I want you to hear that we recognize that here. We want to validate that. It makes sense. And you need some time and you need some space and you need to be on a healing journey. And we're here for that journey and that process. And so I recognize that even home for Christ, if that's our story. And so much of the healing we long for resides in community. We've been hurt there, and the healing resides there. And so like the shepherds, we might have inviting us to and that's the nudge I want to I wanna challenge us with a little bit this morning, if that's you. Is would you risk again and would you be vulnerable again to move from loneliness and isolation towards community and connection and friendship and relationship? Knowing that it could be hard and messy. always hard and messy. That's not going anywhere. Like, can we kick that expect, all of us, not, not just those of us who have been hurt in community, like all of us just need to kick the community ideal of like, it's not going to be messy and hard and awkward and like, I'm never going to be interrupted and everyone's going to have good boundaries and they're all going to know how to deeply listen and do reflective listening. And I'm always going to be heard and my emotions are always going to 
It's not happening. Moments, yes. Journeying towards that stuff, absolutely. But I don't know. You won't find that here at Grace Midtown. So, could we risk again? again to move from wounded by to healing in community are you with me I know it's scary it's not easy it's challenging I promise you it was not easy for these shepherds to get up and go and knock on a stranger's door and see what was going to happen. And we know this because we've heard God tell us stuff to do too, and it's not easy. I also know this because I'm a pastor, so I get coffees with you, and you're like, I don't know. I mean, God told me like this way and that way and this other way to go and do this thing, and I don't really know what to do. It's like, well, go do the thing. Um, All right. So shepherds. But then there's Mary and Joseph, right? There's Mary and Joseph, and they're the ones who welcome the shepherds, which seems really inconvenient to me. I've had two children, so I feel like a group of people showing up at my house in like the first week of having a child does not feel like strangers. Like this isn't like, grandma so-and-so and aunt whoever, like this is like, like strangers. I don't know, it just doesn't feel real, like they don't have a real good sense of boundaries. And um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, shoot. So the, the shepherds show up. But here's what, I, here's what I want us to take, take from Mary and Joseph here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link this to Home Alone somehow. You know, yeah, I mean, come on, that's worth the price of admission. Mary and Joseph, Jesus being born, and Home Alone, and it's going to connect. Here we go. In the greatest moment of their life, they didn't choose who was with them. In fact, they were abandoned by the folks who could have been and probably should have been with them. But they didn't choose who was with them. God sent the shepherds to be with them. Because like we said, when you are at home in God, then you're going to start finding yourself a certain way. God likes the people you don't like. God delights in the people you think are annoying. God loves the people that you think are hard and messy. And God's not put off by their mess. And God's not put off by their awkwardness. And God's not put off by their lack of sense of boundaries or the way they violate a whole bunch of things we would rather they not cross. Are you tracking? 
we want to curate our community. Right? We want to curate our community the way we curate our coffee. There's so much of it out there. There's so much of it available. And I don't know what's good. I need someone to tell me what's good and to send it to my house and subscribe to it. And then take pictures of it and put it on my Instagram account so that you know that I like good coffee. Bougie coffee. over coffee before I get in my car to work. Who's living that? I mean, I got kids. We don't pour over anything. Right, but we want this, we want a curated community. You know, I think about like Instagram, right? Like I know we, we talk about this kind of stuff. And there's this part of Instagram where we've talked about before, right? Where you kind of put your curated life in front of people. But you know, the back end part of that is true too, is you can curate who's in your life. You don't like their taste in music? Mute. Fashion? Mute. Post too many pictures of their kids? Mute. Too many scenes from all the things going on in the world that you don't want to deal with? Mute. Awareness around the stuff that's real hard about living in your city? Mute. Because you don't have to deal with it. You can curate it. Curating his community in that scene. He's got a bunch of mannequins. He's got who he wants to have around him. And he's projecting, I've got friends, I've got people, don't mess with me, don't break into my house. Don't come close. Look at all these people around me. But it's not real. It's not real. Community's not a puppet show. It's a dance. And that means people respond to your stuff and you respond to their stuff, and we make the best of it, something beautiful out of it. And I'm not saying, by the way, that you shouldn't choose your friends and have, have your, the folks that you have affinity with, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that, so don't... It's, we're lonely because of it. We're alone because of it. Yeah, no one's crossing your boundaries, but you're alone. No one's calling you in the middle of the night for help, but you don't have anyone to call in the middle of the night for help either. You're alone. You have colleagues that'll hit up happy hour with you. But they don't know your life. They don't know your pain. And you make sure they don't. And keep up the charade and play the Atlanta hustle game. And you're dying on the inside because you're alone. And we justify it with all kinds of stuff. Well, self-care. So I just can't have hard and messy people in my life and I can't get a call in the middle of the night and they can't come over with my kids and blah, 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 blah. And you're alone. 
And everything you don't like is toxic. So let me say this. I, for a living, sit with people through tears, through anguish, through guttural noises that some of you have heard and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Of the harm they've experienced, of the abuse they've endured, of the trauma that's in their life. And it is real. And we are here to hear that. And if that's you, it is real. And there is room for you here to be where you are without an agenda to get somewhere else, to be where you are in the order back in your life, whatever semblance of healing back in your life, whatever semblance of your own voice and agency back in your life, however long it takes, we're here. And I think some of us make a mockery of that stuff when we just call like a whole bunch of stuff toxic that's like you just don't like their preferences. You don't like their opinion or they didn't like yours. It's the normal friction of living everyday life in close proximity to people who aren't you. And we need to mature. And we need to allow the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit to do what God the Holy Spirit does as we live life in community in close proximity to folks who aren't us. Is this okay? Is this all right? So you heard me. Toxic stuff is real. And it matters. Because it's a new kind of armor that's keeping us from having to enter into real relationship and mess with people so that we can be at home among one another as God is home among us. It's kind of like a new purity code thing. So I have two kids, and this is, this is like, I don't know, this is going to be some parenting advice somehow. Like, we let our kids play in, with, with dirt and play with messy stuff and touch things. Why? Well, one, there's a whole lot of research around emotional and mental health about letting your kids play and dig in the dirt and experiment and free play and... Like some of us just want to keep our hands out of messy and dirty things because we think we're going to get contaminated. But part of being in mess and dirt is that it builds up a resilience in you to be within dirty, messy, hard environments. It teaches your body how to regulate itself and how to function and how to heal itself within dirty, messy.
at sort of maturing, right? And I don't think it's that different in community that when we try to eliminate in the name of all these other kinds of things that are really good. But when we try to eliminate all the hard and mess and challenge of community from our lives, then we become people who don't know how to live in community. We become people who don't know how to be at home. We become people who aren't resilient. We don't. So the invitation for us is like, can we do that? Can we be people who welcome that stuff? Because it's good for us. Like hard people are good for us. Messy people are good for us. They are. When my wife and I first got married, we, we, you know, it was real cool to say things like, I want to do life with people. Is that still cool? I don't know. Christian, like, just got married. And so there was just this buzz around, like, do life with people. And so we did. We had people that lived upstairs from us, people that lived across the street from us. And in my little fantasy land mind, it was going to be awesome Christian community. We were going to worship all the time. We were going to pray all the time. We were going to study the Bible. Everyone was going to be wowed by the cool things that I said. We were going to eat together and share. I don't even Like, early in my marriages, I'm sitting on our couch, and one of our neighbors comes into our living room, and my, my wife, Katora, is walking up the stairs, and I look at her and I mouth, get her out of our house. But there were some words in there that I can't say with this microphone. Like that's, that's like how I felt in the moment. And the worst thing is this person saw me mouth those words. And doing life is hard. It feels like get this person out of my house. And they didn't have a sense of boundaries. Y'all, I'm just saying, like, in the first year or two of our marriage, like, that, that was, like, one of the biggest fights in my marriage was how we were going to make room for all these people somehow in our doing life together. Anyone else? Come on. Like, how are we going to, how are, you know, we have a, We have this, this thing inside joke where we're, we have this fake neighborhood, imaginary neighborhood, where I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if Henry Nowen was our next door neighbor? Because he's like my spiritual hero. He's my spiritual dad that I never met, and he's, he's passed away. But I'm always like, God, I really wish like Henry Nowen was my neighbor. And I'm like, what if like, you know, I love Bob Dylan. So I'm like, and then like, what if Bob Dylan was our other neighbor? And could you imagine sitting on our front porch with Bob and Henry and us? How awesome, right? And but then every person who's ever written, who's known Henry Nowen and has written about it is like, he's obnoxious. He, he, you know, he's just incessantly needy. He actually doesn't have a very good sense of boundaries. He'll just call you at all hours of the night and demand your attention. Like he will just, pull every bit of energy out of you that you'll be willing to give him. Which is amazing to me when you read 
actually the reality? You know, you don't want to let him cook because he's the guy that can somehow profoundly write about the spiritual life and profoundly pull out of you where God is at in your story and he can't remember to turn the burner off when he's making coffee. Like, this is, like, this is who he is, right? And that's like just the reality of people. He doesn't pick up after himself, right? Like people are beautiful and they bring... And we're better for it because they are. But we're living in a day where we're trying to curate all of that out of our lives. And we're alone. And it's killing us. Now, it's easy to make exceptions and exemptions for someone like Henry Nouwen because he's a hero to so many and a best-selling author. But also, he did bring this truth about our belovedness into our community that's like shaped and changed our life. But what about the person who isn't bringing that? What about the person who, like the shepherd, just has like nothing of value to give you? They're not impressed with you. And your career. There's no deep spiritual truth that they're going to speak to your life that's going to just catapult you into the, I don't know, whatever stuff is we fantasize, right? Like, all they have to give is who they are. And I wonder, can we see the enoughness of that? Can we make room for that? Because it matters. Because this other stuff the Surgeon General tells us isn't working. Maybe God had known what God was doing when he took a band of outsiders and brought them together in community around the birth of Jesus. So the band can come. I want to read one more verse because We're going to be in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. A multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language around a throne. This is who we are. This is what makes the church the church. We're using a fancy word. This is good ecclesiology. Every nation, tribe, people, language standing before the throne or around the throne before the Lamb. All of us together. 
at home in us and us at home together. And so what Grace Midtown can be is a witness to another kind of world, a prophetic people who pull a future reality into the present, into the Won't it be cool when God does that one day? Like the great joy of the Christian life, part of it is you get to learn to like the folks that you don't like because they're going to be in heaven. So we might as well learn to like each other now. We can learn to hear each other's stories now. We can learn to hear and hold one another's grief right here, right now. We can learn to say in the world is counter to the oughtness of what God intended in the garden and where God is leading this thing. So why don't we stand? Because when we sing together, we get to practice this. Amen.